You're listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Putnam. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. I'm joined today by the only guy I think I've ever out-patriarched, just by number of kids. <laughs> it's uh, Tanner Guzzi. If you don't know who he is, uh, he is the masculine icon in men's fashion right now. You're not going to see any of the trash and swill you see walking down the runways coming out of this guy. So, uh, Tanner, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to be here. I've, uh, I've been looking forward to coming on your show for a long time now. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, Hunter Drew was uh, one of the guests uh, last week, week before last, and he was uh, – Said he'd been waiting on the call, waiting on the call. Like, yeah, I was looking for big people. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Hunter. <laughs> yeah, I can't help but mess with the guy. Poor Gimli. <laughs> Poor Gimli. <laughs> well, that's two in a row that we've had to uh, bring up uh, Lord of the Rings, you and Jack Donovan. So. Did he do it too? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's official. It's official. We're all nerds. But uh, You kind of have to be at this stage, right? Yeah. So, if I, I can't believe people wouldn't know who you are or what you do, but I guess some won't. You got into men's fashion and trying to help men dial in their style. Uh, I'm assuming right around the time you were trying to dial in your own, and you realized how much work you had to do and went, holy crap, I can't be the only one with this problem. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's been something I've been, you could even say hypersensitive to for years. And the, the real reason is, especially when you're a teenager, and that's when you're sensitive to a lot of things because you're trying to find your identity and everything else. I was in these disparate worlds of, I was going to a, a private Christian school that had a very strict uniform of the gray slacks, the white button-up shirt, navy blazer, and the rep tie. But I was really into BMX and punk rock. And so all of my friends were wearing extra baggy jeans and battle jackets and had green hair and, you know, uh, patches all over their backpacks. And it also very much was a, a, a uniform, just a very different kind of uniform. And I had this, ident this identity crisis as a result of being in these two disparate worlds. And a lot of it was rooted to the fact that I couldn't send the signals that I wanted to send. I had to send signals that I wanted to send. And so I've been really sensitive to my clothing ever since then. And it wasn't until I finally started to grow up and started realizing I'm no longer that punk rock kid that I learned that that signal is no longer a congruent signal. And so I started dressing in a way that signaled a little bit more authority, a little bit more just, I mean, you could say conformity a little bit, but it was no longer just my middle finger to the world and started writing about it because yeah, like you said, it's, it's realizing it's okay. I, I can't be the only guy who's thinking about this and thinking about it the way that I am. Yeah, uh, I think for a period of about two weeks, I had that trailer park slim shady look. <laughs> yeah, not very proud of that. Was that on all. purpose or how did that even happen? It just kind of happened, man. Yeah, just the inertia you know. and just kind of whatever. Yeah, and I, I was, you know what? This, no, and I, I did make sure to burn all of those photos, so there's no one that will. <laughs> no, that, what a shame! What a waste! Yeah, no one will ever see that kind of evidence. No oh, man. But no, you know, I see the the same kind of struggle with you know my kids, you know, at least my teenagers who are getting ready to graduate high school. I see them 
trying to figure out what they want to dress like and what like s- says this is me uh-huh you know because i mean i'm i'm in a pair of you know boots some jeans with a couple of rips in them and a t-shirt yep but that's me you know right and There's here in this there yeah and here in this rural kind of area it 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 fits with who i am and where i am yep you know because you don't want to be that guy that looks out of place wearing like a three-piece suit in rural Alabama. No, or something. It, it signals that you're totally just socially obtuse, that you have no idea what's going on around you. And that's what a lot of guys who really get into style, that's one of the mistakes that they start to make is they think, well, I want to dress better. Therefore, I need to dress more formally, which means I am going to be the moron who thinks that I need to wear a suit all the time, all the time and it's dressed for the job you want and not the job you have and all these other kind of hyperbolic things that don't really apply the way that they used to maybe 50 or a hundred years ago, because the job you want probably doesn't require a suit anymore either. And so, no, you need to have some level of, am I a moron because I don't understand the environment that I'm in and the signals that I'm sending to other people and the signals that I'm sending myself and all this other stuff. Yeah. It's precisely the reason I don't dress like Batman or Indiana Jones. Exactly. I can't, I can't dress for the job that I want. Right. well it's funny because most guys get that on a very you take it to that comical level and we get it right of yeah i'm not going to dress like batman because then people are going to think one i'm totally like there's something wrong with me that i think i'm batman or two if i'm really good at it then maybe they'll expect me to be like batman and i can't live up to those expectations and so it's totally yeah i don't have that much time (laughs) yeah yeah, i'm not yeah (laughs) but no um you know, and, I, and I, I've turned my kids on to you. I'm like, you know, cool. look at this guy. Look at this guy. Watch what he does. And then, you know, they still haven't quite, they haven't done what I did. I'm trying to get them to get around to it, which I did your, uh, your masculine style quiz. Cool. Where you had, uh, was it the refined, the rakish and the rugged yep. archetypes and went through there. And actually that was one of the inspirations for the name of my company, Rugged Legacy. Oh, sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and the legacy part was, well, I've got, you know, a thousand kids. So, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're uh, definitely building that. I think you've earned the right to that term. Yeah. You know, that's trademarked just by proxy. Yes. <laughs> yes. But, you know, I see it with a lot of people that I work with. I see it with a lot of people that, uh, you know, just, are, are, you know, around and about. They just seem that either very out of place and kind of like the, the try hard kind of guy. Uh-huh. Or they're the, uh, I'm just never going to try. I'm wearing, you know, a shirt that's stained with me <laughs> and yes. sweatpants, yes. you know, and trying to find that bridge is like, just start walking across it, bro. Right. Cause you will at some point be the guy who tries too hard. Cause you, you just kind of have to be, you have to be willing to make those mistakes and that's fine. You gotta, you gotta be fine with that. And that doesn't mean that you have to be the guy who really tries hard. You know, I get made fun of all the time for some of the stuff that I post up that's pretty aggressive or pretty try hard. And some of it, honestly, especially when you look back years later, looks pretty ridiculous, but that's what I do for a living. But for your average guy, you do have to try a little bit harder than you're comfortable with. And you do have to send a signal that I'm actually putting some effort into this and I do actually care about it. And people are going to look at you a little bit askew and they are going to think that you're weird and they are going to maybe resent you a little bit. And it's totally worth it because you're totally going to level up your thinking and you're totally going to level up your signaling. And eventually you're going to realize, 
why it looks like you're trying too hard and you're going to be able to dial it back to the level that actually works as opposed to dressing the way that most guys do, which is, you know, they talk about dressing in a way that's comfortable and it's not physical comfort. It's the comfort of low expectations. It's the comfort of nobody expects anything of me. Nobody, I can just exist. They don't think I'm an idiot. They certainly don't think I'm capable of anything. I can just, I can just be, the gray man, which is great in a defense situation, but it's terrible in a hierarchical situation when you're trying to build a life, build a legacy, do anything else that's worthwhile. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned signaling uh, and the signal that you're sending out to the world and people having low expectations of you. A lot of the people that we see, and this is something I try to tell a lot of the guys I mentor, if your wife sees that she cannot expect anything from you other than to be this cheese dust covered sleaze ball yep then how do you expect her to look at you any other way when you demand any kind of respect right why would she respect you when every signal you send other than vocally saying you should respect me because i'm the head of the household everything else totally undermines that why should your kids look at you as somebody to aspire to and somebody that makes fatherhood look aspirational and appealing and everything else as opposed to why would I want to be like my dad? He's totally given up on everything and he just exists. We create these images for our wives and our children. And then we wonder why we don't get the respect that we want. We wonder why our kids don't want to continue to pursue the same paths as we do. And it's because we do nothing to actually market ourselves or market our lives to the people that matter the most to us. Yeah. You know, and it goes even beyond the family, you know, it goes to your colleagues, it goes to your, your friends, your, you know, fellow church members, whatever they may be. And in, in in what I've, uh, I've come to notice is when I kind of stopped dressing because I was just the default graphic tee, t-shirt, and dirty mm-hmm. sneakers guy. That was my default. Yep. All right. But when I stopped doing that, the entire world seemed to treat me differently. Right. Because it looks like, well, this guy actually carries himself in a certain way. And a lot of guys, while I know you say it ironically all the time, real men don't care how they look. That might be the thing but the world actually cares how real men look. Yeah. And they want you to look like a real man because they do, they interpret those signals. Are you willing to even take the slightest bit of social risk, just the tiniest little bit of social risk to signal to people that you're comfortable with them having expectations of you? Yeah. And if you're not, then why would they trust you to handle any other kind of risk that that's going to be thrown at you? Yeah. And, and in any case, any kind of risk is always thrust upon the man to handle, Yep. you know, from an evolutionary standpoint. And this yeah, is not that, some, that's our burden. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think Ed Lattimore called it the burden of masculine performance. Yes. Which is a perfect way to put it. And that is that's yeah. exactly what's expected of us. It really is. And, you know, I, I can't help but think that maybe a lot of it, a lot of people who don't want to try to step up in, look the part is because they don't feel like they're capable of being the part. Right. Yeah. And they hate that dissonance because all of a sudden it brings to light that if you do look the part and you don't internally feel like you can be the part, then you feel, you feel dishonest because in a lot of ways you are where it's, I'm sending one signal that doesn't align with who I am. And then they're forced 
to do one of two things. It's either, okay, I got to get my life together and I actually have to live up to what the signal is that I'm sending, which is why dressing in a way that's aspirational is an awesome tool. That dissonance is a feature instead of a bug. But sadly, what most people do is they avoid that dissonance altogether so that we can continue to lie to ourselves that the dissonance doesn't matter at all. Or sadly, you get guys who do start to dress better and then they realize, oh, I can't live up to this and I hate feeling this way. So I'm just going to go back to dressing the way that I'm used to and sending the signals that I'm used to sending so I don't actually have to level up my life. Yeah, you know, I think a good analogy for that is you basically you walk into a jujitsu studio and you're wearing a gi and a black belt and you've never trained in your life and people expect you to perform like a black belt. Yep. You know. Yep. And that's one of the most acute ways of putting it because there's no ambiguity about that signal. There's no ambiguity about what you have to do to earn it, about what it means to everybody else who's in there and even even on a on a micro level even wearing the right kind of gi or the right kind of rash guard or these other things can send these other different kind of signals. And so we see that in every work environment, in every gym environment, in every family environment. And you're left to either understand what those signals are and send them the right way and do it aspirationally and level up to that or just sink down. So aesthetically, you're matching the same level of where you are with your aspirations and, and finding what your comfort zone is. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before about, uh, you know, getting aesthetics dialed in and things like that. A lot of people think that when they're trying to, you know, level up their wardrobe, they have to completely change their wardrobe. And a lot of the times they don't. And, no. it, uh, and like, I love your book, The Appearance of Power. Thank you. Yes, I love it. Uh, I'm going to have to buy like eight copies and just pass them out to my boys. <laughs> to your kids. Because yeah. you can't have mine. but you know it talks a lot about the small little aesthetics that just give off this aura of who you are and what uh you know what you represent you know um you want to go into that a little bit yeah it really is it's these little details and again i think the thing that makes this intimidating and hard for a lot of men is that it is non-quantifiable because it's not like a black belt in jujitsu where you can say i'm wearing this color that i have reached this level of expectations in order to qualify for therefore i know exactly when to wear it i know exactly what's where i've earned that stripe or i haven't earned that stripe most of the world of masculine aesthetics is very nebulous and not only that but it's also something that people will completely judge you for and they'll also never actually say anything to your face about it And so you have to try and navigate these unspoken, very blurred rules to be able to figure out why these expectations are there. But the nice thing, the the benefit to that means that it also could be really minor tweaks. So for example, you're wearing a t-shirt and jeans, but it's no longer an ill-fitting graphic t-shirt and jeans. And so it sends a better signal, not only to other people, but more importantly to yourself than what your uniform would have been before. And so you're able to have the world treat you differently. You're able to see yourself differently and you're not dressing up more. You're not putting in any more effort to what you're putting on your body every single morning. You've basically hacked the system as far as what aesthetic signals are. And it's working just as well for you as it would be if you spent five hours getting ready every morning. Right. And, you know, you you see a lot of the, you know, we have our own like little barometers for what people kind of give off, you know? Yep. So you see someone 
and you see someone in, in a nice pressed, you know, fitted, nice cut suit, but then you notice one little neck tattoo right there yep. versus versus you didn't see that neck tattoo at all. And it gives a, I mean, it's the exact same clothes. Right. But it gives off in a completely different, you know, kind of vibe as to what that guy is about. Yep. And it's even more powerful because the contrast between the two of them, that contrast principle makes it even stronger because then this guy goes from being a very one dimensional character of, Oh, he's a, he's a clean cut, well-dressed, nice guy in a suit, which is what you expect. But all of a sudden you see that little bit more edge, that little bit more rebellion and the juxtaposition between that and the suit. And you go, wait a minute, because it's all, it would also be very different if you saw the neck tattoo and the guy were in your slim shady uniform from a few years ago, where it's like, Oh, that's, that's the expectation. Right. Or the or contrast the, the, the juxtaposition. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, now we're going way back. <laughs> Uh, it's yeah. not that far back. Don't make me feel oh, old, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, it's that, it's that juxtaposition between them that makes that signaling all the more compelling and all the more visually interesting. Yeah. So, you know, you work a lot with people and helping them get their, uh, you know, their wardrobe and their style kind of dialed in to fit who they are. What kind of work goes into that? Because people are very different and they have their own, you know, their own energy, their kind of their own identity. You know, yeah. what kind of, what kind of work are you doing with these people to, to get them dialed in? That's what's so cool about the way that I do this. And there's nobody else who is, because most of the time, if you want somebody to help you dress better, you essentially hire a stylist and they have maybe like four different uh, personalities that they can put you in where it's like, here's the office worker. Here's the casual guy. Here's, you know, my more kind of rugged lumberjack or whatever. And I'm going to give them all the same wardrobe, just depending on which one of these they fit into. And essentially you basically become a mannequin for this stylist or for this, this consultant or whatever it is. Yeah, you do. I see that a lot actually. Right. And I, I've learned the hard way why that doesn't work because the first three years that I was doing coaching, it was basically that. And then when I would follow up with my clients six months later, they were back to wearing the stuff that they were in before because it, guys don't dress well for the sake of dressing well. We're not interested in that. We want to dress better because we want to feel more confident. We want to send better signals. We want to live up to those higher expectations. And if all I'm doing is making you a mannequin, it actually makes you feel less confident. I probably didn't actually understand what those signals were that you wanted to send because I didn't take the time to dive any deeper. And you certainly don't feel any better because you haven't learned how to do anything. You've basically been a child where I've now picked out your wardrobe for you and scoot you along in your own little way. So what I do instead is I work with each one of my clients and I help them build out a framework and it's the same framework for everybody, but almost you can almost treat it like it's a sales funnel where you learn how to create this funnel and you find what the friction points are. And it's based on things like what does and doesn't work for your body. Who are the people in your lives that you want to send different signals to and how do they interpret those signals who are you on the inside and how do we pull that out externally? But basically when you can build up this perfect little funnel, then you can literally take any article of clothing from any website or any picture or any store in the world and you pop it in. And if it comes out of the bottom, then awesome. That's a piece you can buy and you can wear it in your wardrobe and it's going to be fantastic. Or if it gets caught somewhere, then you know it's not a piece you need to pay attention to. And so it eliminates all the decision fatigue. But the most important thing that happens is that, my guys that I work with end up creating a wardrobe one on their own. So they feel totally congruent in it. And two, 
it totally maximizes the signals they want to send to everybody else. And so they're getting all of the benefits without having to deal with this random trial and error or Tanner saying, I have to wear this, but it's stupid or anything else. And so they get better results and they feel better about it as they go. Yeah, that's, it's almost like uh, what it, the, the Myers-Briggs test, but for clothes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what's cool is they get to tweak and fine tune it as they get even further. Or most of my guys, and I've done this myself, you go look at pictures of me on Instagram, which is at Tanner Guzzi, but you go look at pictures of me from like three years ago, four years ago, and I'm suited up all the time because I worked for a custom suit company. That was what I did for a living and I needed to be in that environment. Now, most of the stuff that I'm posting, I, I guarantee you go watch the last six podcast interviews that I've done, and I'm in a version of this same Henley because that's now more of what my personal uniform is. As your style evolves and you know what that funnel looks like, then you can continue to update and upgrade your style as opposed to, sweet, this stylist got me looking great eight years ago and now I look like I'm still trapped in 2008 or 2012 or whatever. And it never evolves, even though I'm not living in the same state. I'm not working in the same industry. I'm now a dad. I've got whatever these major changes are. You, if you do it with me, then you know how to upgrade your style according to those changes as opposed to being stagnant and looking like you're trapped in whatever year it was that we worked together. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of similar to you. I, I have, you know, the button down flannels, they're all the exact same style, just different colors and different yeah. patterns. I've got, you know, probably five pairs of jeans and they're all the exact same, give or take a shade or two. And then I've got brown boots and I've got the converse. Yep. And then of course the, the nine Henleys that you have, I've probably got them sitting, <laughs> you know, over yep. here. But if you and go then, live in LA on the beach and you spend three years there, your style's going to evolve and you want to know how right. to do that. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, I've only recently started learning how to do just by following you and seeing a lot of the content you and uh, well-built style. Yeah. Put up. Yeah. Manny puts and, out great stuff. He does such a good job of outlining very specific examples of do this, do that. And kind of getting most guys from a level one to a level four or five in a way that works for so many guys. And he kills it with that. Yep. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we've laughed about this today already, but the whole concept of uh, real men don't care how they look. And, but it's, if they didn't, they wouldn't be coming to you. Right. They, they wouldn't, wouldn't be following me. They wouldn't be resenting Or, or they me. wouldn't be hating you and resenting <laughs> you because you're getting, you, you yourself are dialed in and you make it look effortless. And they're just pissed off that they either go you know, the try hard route mm -hmm. and then get frustrated or the never try because they know they're going to get frustrated with the try hard route. Exactly. You know? No, it, it's very telling that one of the things that people, whenever I deal with haters, especially on Twitter, I always get made fun of where it's like, Oh, he's a style coach. He teaches men how to dress better. That's the dumbest, least masculine thing, whatever. But there's always an emotional response to what I do. There's nobody, there are very few men that I've ever dealt with that are actually ambivalent about it. And resenting what I'm doing, having antipathy for what I'm doing, thinking it's stupid means you care, which means you do care about how you look. You just want to send the signal that you don't care because that's the only appropriate signal that you're allowed to send. Because really, if you didn't care, and this is the example I use all the time, you would just raid your wife's closet. You just wear her stuff. Doesn't matter how it fits. Doesn't matter if it's a dress or skirt or whatever else if you really don't care, you, you don't care. You're just going to put clothes on your body. 
Right. Um, but no, I, uh, I've noticed that uh, a lot of people now are kind of maybe just, maybe it's the twenties, maybe it's the coronavirus. I don't know, but people are starting to get a little kind of not care so much about the whole, you know, the hangups about guys in fashion. Mm-hmm. It seems like they're evolving. You know what? And I don't, I don't like the word metrosexual because it's not what I'm, I'm trying to talk about. No, but, but they're just being a little more conscious of the image they give off. Yep. And I think it's becoming like a, a little bit of an evolution. I mean, cause you know, you, like I said, we joke all the time about, you know, real men don't care how they look and you've got, you know, a picture of like a, a Roman Praetorian, you know, standing there in his gilded armor. And I think that is kind of the attitude, you know, even though you're posting those ironically, I think ironically people are starting to kind of come back a little bit to that kind of a mindset. I agree. Yeah. It's cool because we are, and I'm sure this is probably something you talked about with Jack on his, on his most recent episode, because he's the one who brought up this idea that masculinity in particular, but even just self-development in the world that we live in is, is very optional. You don't have to be in shape. You don't have to be well-connected. You don't have to earn good money. You don't have to get, be attractive. You don't really, you can just exist and all of your needs are going to be taken care of. And so the idea of becoming better is optional. And what's cool is that it creates an entire community and an entire identity of people who are voluntarily choosing self-development, self-optimization, becoming better and better. And more and more, you're getting men who recognize that that means that they also want to dress better. And that's part of it, that they don't want to look like the schlubs who just Netflix and Doritos and hating their nine to five and fapping and that's their existence. They want to totally separate themselves in every regard. And so part of that means that they want to make sure that they're dressing in a way that there's no confusion that they're them versus being us. Yeah. And you know, I've been a part of the whole self-improvement sphere of Twitter for a little over a year now. And I see a lot of guys come in, and you know, I'm okay, I'm in okay shape. I'm not in like fighter shape. No, I'm not crushing you it. Know? I want to be better, but I'm yeah. I'm I want to be better. Similar I, to you, you know. Yeah, I work. I work out daily, and I can give people some generic advice. But we send those the guys who really need the help to guys like AJ Cortez or Jack right. Carlson. You know, the big guys who are that's their thing. Yep. But when it's coming to you know learning a skill, you know, or losing weight or increasing your finances and your cash flow and all this other, those things are something that they take a good little while to actually nail down to see results from. Yep. But when people come to you and they can get their style dialed in, it's not so much as a fake it till you make it thing. It's you're going to look the part and it's a small win that you can get right out of the gate versus yeah, in six months, I'm going to look like Conor McGregor. Right. But for right now, you know, with, with my clothes off, but for right now, I can look like Conor McGregor's style in the suit or this wardrobe that I yep. get done. And so it, I think, you know, a lot of people kind of disregard the amount of value there is to just yourself of looking better. You know, totally. I tell people, I tell people all the time, if you don't think that what you're wearing affects who you are, go put on a pair of sweatpants and a t-shirt and then just stand in front of the mirror 
and then go put on a suit and stand in front of the mirror. Yep. Watch how your posture and your body language change, how you move, how you stand. Absolutely. Because if you look good, you feel good. You know what I mean? It's and, a placebo. That's it, it, a very hokey. Yeah. It's a very hokey kind of thing. You look good, feel good, but it's true. Yep. No, and if totally they can right. get you know, they they get themselves into the right mindset, especially from looking better. Hey, you know what? I'm rocking the heck out of this suit. I think Absolutely. I'm going to go and hit, I, I think I'm going to go and hit the gym and rock the heck out of the next suit. Yep. Yep. And most guys, they miss, they get so hung up on the idea that I shouldn't care what other people think of me or there's no reason to, to put any energy into this or anything else, but they're so focused on how it, what the signals are that are sent to other people. And they miss out on exactly what you hit on that. The real, the real power of dressing well is in the signals that we can send to ourselves. It's the, do I look like somebody who's trying? Do I look like somebody who's got expectations? Do I look like somebody who's worthy of respect? Do I look like somebody who's actually earned some authority? Or do I not look like any of those things? And when you see your reflection in a car or in the window of a building downtown, or you catch your reflection in the mirror, or you look at pictures that your wife posted up on Instagram from your last vacation, do you see a man that's actually aspirational and to some degree awesome looking back at you, or do you see a guy who just exists? And you can't, no matter how hard you try and convince yourself, you can't convince yourself that the images that you see and the way you interpret those, those images of yourself, that self-reflection doesn't affect your mindset because it absolutely does. And so you're totally right. Whether you're using getting your style totally dialed in as the capstone of your self-development journey, or it's just that first easy win so that you've got some inertia working for you instead of against you, at some point, you got to get this in order to get the full picture, and you're going to realize that it makes everything else bigger, better, and easier than if you never tried to tackle it on its own. Yeah, you know, and, and I like what you said about you know, getting that inertia going, and it, you know, it is that good, easy win. You just go to the store, spend what you were already going to spend just on something slightly different than what yeah. you would normally, yeah. not a big change. And then, bam, you've already moved forward. Because a lot of people are, you know, they're result-driven. Yep. I'm one of those people. I'm result-driven. Most of us are. Yeah. I'm a man. I'll get pissed off if I'm not seeing results from, you know, banging my head against the wall all day. I better yeah. have made a dent. You know? Yep. You're, no, so, you're totally right. Yeah, and it is. It's easy results. Yeah. And a lot of people, they need that one result just so they can say, okay, finally, I got something. I accomplished something. Yes. I've broken myself yeah. out of this trap. This, this momentum of not doing anything. Yeah. Yep. And they get ones, but you know, there's that old saying, if you go from zero to one, it's much harder than going from, from one to five. Yep. No, that's a perfect yeah. way to put it. Yeah. And this is the easiest way to get from zero to one because it's the lowest, it is the, the lowest risk and one of the highest impact things that you can do. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know. I think, I think a man should feel a little bit like a narcissist when he, you know, you know, walks by and sees himself. Damn, I'm, I'm killing it. You know, he should <laughs> feel that a little bit. It just feeds that mindset even more. Yeah, not too much where you end yeah. up like narcissists, you know, staring at the lake until he died. <laughs> you know, you're looking at your reflection in a car window and you get sideswiped by a exactly, bus. Exactly, right? No, you, you shouldn't know? be that vain about it. But you should no. be able to use that as, a, as an emotional recharge where it's like, 
okay, but I look good. And so I know I can conquer this. Yeah. Yeah. She might've dumped me, but the next one's in for a ride. Yeah. She's, she's going to be, she's going to like that. (laughs) Yeah. That kind of thing. Yep. But, uh, so, uh, what else have you been working on outside of your coaching? You got more plans for another book coming out soon? I don't think so. Or if I do another book, it probably won't be style related. That's one of the things that's been really interesting about writing it is, you know, it's been a year and a half now since I published it. And there are little ideas that I continue to flesh out, but not enough to create something that's a full, a full book to be able to add on to it, which makes me just feel even more proud about what I've been able to do. But like a lot of guys who get into self-development, I continue to find other ways and other things that I need to improve on. You know, it's fatherhood, it's fitness, it's finances, it's being able to uh, better scale my business and all this other stuff. And so that's where a lot of my focus and energy is going to. And so who knows, maybe I'll write a book about homeschooling down the road, or I'll write a book about, you know, how to build a coaching business or whatever it is. Cause that, that desire to write is still there, but at least from how it looks right now, I, I don't, there's not enough more for me to say on men's appearance that it's worth writing a whole other book about it. You said all the words, you said them all well, you don't need to write any more on it. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing egotistical or arrogant about that whatsoever. (laughs) No, but I'm also willing, I'm also willing to admit that maybe in five years I'll look at it and go, nah, dude, you still have a lot more you need to do. And then I'll, I'll eat some crow and I'll go back and I'll do it. Yeah. Well, between, I guess between now and then you could just write pamphlets. Yes. You, yes. you don't have enough or, for a book. Right. Or it's the stuff that I teach my clients, right. As ways to just dial it in even further. Right. Yeah. No, I think it would be a uh, pretty interesting um, for you to talk about, or at least write about um, building a coaching business. A lot of people, you know, are really kind of looking into, man, I could be a personal coach for, someone, but they don't really know how to go about it because they don't mm-hmm. feel like they have that level of expertise to be a coach because, you know, that's a thing that, you know, it's very vain and, and egotistical to say, I'm good enough to be your coach. Yep. I'm going to teach you how to do this, which I think is why I haven't written anything or tried to build any business or anything off of that because I still feel like I'm making this crap up as I go and I'm still trying to optimize and figure stuff out and I'm paying other coaches to teach me how to do stuff. And so there's some level of that. I wouldn't say imposter syndrome, but that kind of recognizing that you're maybe just one step above beginner mindset that it's like, uh, I'm not, I'm not ready to be an authority on this yet at all. Yeah. Well, you know, I I think uh, Frank Abagnale Jr. taught an entire like a semester of sociology because he was just read one chapter ahead of the class. Right. That's the thing. And I have to remind myself of that. It's that I don't have to know everything. I just have to know a little bit more than the people that I'm teaching. Yeah. And you know, but, but the thing about it, you you know, especially with uh, the self-development kind of uh, sphere that we're both in, you don't want a client that's always going to be a client. Right. You know, you bring them up to your level and, set them free. If they surpass you even better, even better. Yeah. And that's a lot of guys who aren't part of this sphere. Don't get that. And they think that's really weird. And they even kind of get, as they try and help me with my business, they're like, well, how are you getting more repeat clients? How are you getting them to come back to you? And it's, I don't because 
by the time we're done, they don't need me anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's, you know, that's kind of the goal. That's the goal. You don't want them to keep coming back. You know, if right. you're a, a high school teacher for a senior, you know, high school seniors, you don't want them coming back. No, you, know? you want the next crop to come in <laughs> yeah. and to be exactly. ready to move on. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I think we see a lot of the people uh, in some of the various, you know, nodes of the uh, self-development sphere will want to teach their clients just enough to keep them hanging, mm-hmm. you know, and just to yep. keep them coming back. Yep. Just bleeding as much as they can out of them. Yeah. And never yeah. want their students to actually surpass them. And that's one of the things that just gets under my skin about the whole thing. Yep. Me too. You know, you yeah. know it's, it's, I, I think it says, a, your guys. yeah, I think it says a little bit more about the teacher not being as confident in the ability to draw in new students rather than having a perpetual student. Yep. Yep. And I totally get that, especially when it's related to some stuff like, well, and even then, what's your life cycle? Because if you have somebody who's coaching you on your form every every time you go lift and you work out, I've got a I've got a coach Matt Reynolds who's doing that for me right now, which is totally worth it. It's fantastic. And at some point, you know, am I going to keep using him because I actually need help with my form, or how much of it is just the accountability, and I just need to be able to know that okay, I got to make sure I'm totally dialed because somebody besides me is paying attention to if I'm doing the work and all this other stuff. And so there's, there's certainly ethical ways to continue to have long-term relationships with clients, but a lot of it comes down to, are you actually offering them value over the long-term or are you keeping them stagnant so that you can continue to get more out of them and it's more in your best interest as opposed to something that's mutually beneficial for both parties? Yeah. You know, I see that a lot. I get a lot of people, um, you know, when Nick Lowry and I ran uh, with our other partner, uh, Dan Cosmala, we ran the unemployables mm-hmm. and we had a group of guys who were interested in starting their own side hustles, their own businesses. And so we would coach them along and coach them along. Well, we lost members of the unemployables as we went because they got to the point where they didn't need us. Exactly. And that was the point, right? Yeah. It meant, it meant less money in our pocket if we weren't bringing in new members, but the whole goal was to get them to either be where you know he is with ground shark coffee or me with rugged legacy yep or even higher we, we didn't want them completely hanging on to us asking us the same questions all the time no, no and that scarcity mindset that i think your clients know when that's happening i uh i, I assume you follow josiah novak another one yeah, of the fitness uh, guys we actually he, had him on the unemployables awesome, podcast back awesome. when we no, were josiah is great he's he's such a good dude and uh he just posted something a couple of weeks ago where it was basically a screenshot of a text message from one of his clients where he said, you know, it's been years. I've loved working with you and I need to cancel my subscription because I, I've learned everything I can and I'm ready to move on. And I, I love that Josiah not only posted it, but he posted it and said, this is every coach's dream where he really does. He's a coach with that kind of integrity where he wants that. He wants to be able to get himself to being obsolete which is really every dad's job right to get yourself to where you're totally obsolete and your kids can go okay dad i love you and i still want to hang out with you and i still i I still want to be able to come to you for advice when i need it but you don't need to dad me like you did when i was a teenager when i was a little kid and if you're not coaching that way if you're not parenting that way then it really and you see parents who have done this and they've they've totally crippled their children because it's more about them satisfying their own needs as a parent 
and having somebody who needs to rely on them because then they feel important or then they can feel like they're doing something in the world or whatever this self-rationalization is as opposed to, I genuinely love this person, my child, my client, my whatever. I want them to get to the point where they do not need me anymore. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the things that uh, my wife and I have worked on with our kids. I, I can't remember who said it, but someone said, the goal is to make your children the most competent people at your funeral. Yes. Oh, that's a great way to put it. I love and it's that. a great way to put it. I don't know who said it, so I can't give proper credit. If anybody knows who said that um, on the YouTube version of this, leave it in the comments so I'll know. And if they're yes. not dead, I will thank them. <laughs> No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that because one of the things that we've been teaching, especially my son, is we, he's, he he's going to be better than me. He needs to, you know, and it's obviously it's not this kind of pressure where you're failing and you're failing me if you're not better than me. But the whole reason we're parenting him the way that we are and we're setting him up the way that we are. And same thing for my daughters with my wife. But for my son, it's, I want him to be physically stronger than I am. I want him to make more money than I do. I want him to be a better dad than I am. I want him to be a better business operator than I am. I want him to not have to kind of go through this cycle of, I now have to start over and work my way up to dad's level. I want him to be able to take every advantage that I can give him. You know, I've, I've, my dad was at this step. I need to move up to this step. And then I want my son to be able to take advantage of that and move up to the step further. And so it's constantly in this progress upward as opposed to dad was here. I fell off and I get back up to dad's level and my son falls off and he gets back up to our level and that kind of perpetual just cycle. We want, we want progress. Yeah. I, you know, and a lot of people think that we're being hard on our kids because we push them so hard. And you know, I've, I've seen the counter to that where some relatives of mine have, been the the rescuers of their kid and now their kid is an adult and it's not pretty right because they've never even been allowed to fail or earn their own successes yeah one of the things that we always tell our kids is we're going to let you fall and we're going to let you hit the ground but all we're going to be there for is to make sure you don't hit the ground at terminal velocity. You're still <laughs> yes. going to feel it. <laughs> yeah. We want it to You're hurt gonna, a little bit. And it's yeah. because we love you. We want it to hurt. <laughs> we want it to hurt. You have mm-hmm. to feel the sting. And I always tell my kids, those who suffer, remember. Yep. Oh yeah. man. And people don't get that. And they think that parenthood is about, because it is, it's unconditional love, but it is not unconditional acceptance it's not unconditional right. approval. It's not unconditional celebration because if you give those things to your kids, you're condemning them. You're damning them because they're always going to be dependent on you or they're going to be screwed when they go out into the real world and recognize that that's, that's not reality at all. It's not, it's a bubble. Yeah. You know, and uh, I think Jocko Willink put it best when he said, you have to let them brush up against the guardrails of failure and scrape it and trade some paint a little bit. And you're like, <laughs> yes, such a good you know, visual. Yeah, such it's a very, visual. very good visual. But yeah, you, you, know, you want their heart rate to go up a little bit and their na- their knees to kind of shake and go, man, that was, that was stupid and that was close. And you know, that yeah. even ties back into what we were talking about at the beginning as far as that try hard, because you want to be able to do that in every regard. And that includes aesthetically where it's, I can't believe I wore that. I was such a moron, but you do hit that guardrail. So you know where it is and you can kind of step back and you want your kids to be able to do that in every regard 
Yeah, and it is. It's so good for him. It's so good for him. Yeah, you know, I will never frost my tips again. <laughs> again, yes, thank you. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like, I don't know if you saw, I cut the tip of my thumb off with a no. circular saw a few weeks ago. Pleasant, that sounds beautiful. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> I, will, I will never do that again. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know? you're acutely aware. <clears throat> I, have a, I have a buddy who, uh, there was, uh, it's a whole long story and it sucks but basically we were out camping and he ended up shooting himself in the leg and uh, it was with a hollow point and it got stuck in his thigh. Like it was just, Oh, it was so brutal. And it was really a relatively simple mistake. And the coolest thing about it, which he's fine now, which is also great, but every one of us who was on there, we all get to learn and our our hypersensitivity to gun safety is so much different than it was before where you're just kind yeah. of going through, well, these are the motions and these are the rules and I understand, but you don't really have the reality of the danger of it. And then all of a sudden we're confronted with the reality of the danger of it. And thankfully I didn't watch my friend bleed out or anything else like that, but it's just like, if that were an eighth of an inch away, he would have died right there. And all of a sudden you're a lot more, you're a lot more cognizant because yeah, you, you, you scrape, you exchange some paint with the guardrail. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And God, I, I picture that entire thing in my head. I'm like, yep. Everybody who was there is now very, Barry. very much an advocate for gun safety. Barry. And what's cool <laughs> is maybe a couple of them, especially cause it was with, uh, it was with some younger men, like 16 to 18 that we were, that we were overseeing some of their parents are probably a little more anti-gun now than they may have been before, but the boys aren't. And certainly the adult leaders who are there because all of us carry anyway, none of us are just like, okay, that's it. I'm swearing off guns. I'm never going in a potentially dangerous situation again. It just means we're all the more vigilant when we do carry or when we are on the range or when we are doing something that, that involves that level of danger. Yeah. I would have loved it if you'd have told me that, after you know, as he was lying there bleeding, you said, "All right, kids, come in. This is what you don't do. Come in here. Look." <laughs> it was everybody getting here. I mean, he, he wasn't this? quite this there. This is why <laughs> to be able to do that. The, but the lesson, the lesson itself, was very, very much taught because you know the boys hear everything, and they come out and they're seeing it. And thankfully, one of the other leaders that was there was uh, he's uh, he's an EMT, and so he knows all this stuff. And so we got him all tourniqueted. But we were three hours out they had to have a life flight come in and it was oh it was just nuts and i'm so grateful for the reality of it for all of us because it just takes everything out of the realm of theory and into this this world of reality and i get you know bringing it back to the point that originally got us on this it's our, our children need to see that they need to they need to deal with reality and obviously there's a level of my my five-year-old son doesn't need to watch the brutality of of uh, cartel killings because he has to deal with reality, right? There's a lot right. of knowing how to meet it out, but there's something very good about realizing that a lot of these rules, a lot of these rituals, a lot of these routines, a lot of these symbols, a lot of this other stuff, it exists for a reason. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, you know, especially a lot with what's going on now. I saw you had put on Twitter with uh, about the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. You know, you had said, my children's life is going to be as normal as possible until it can't anymore. Right. And I, I actually did a Twitter live today talking about that same thing, telling, you know, parents, you know, you need to make sure that your children's lives aren't upended because we just went into a three week shutdown on the, all the schools here. Yeah. 
And so I've been driving around all day to all these different schools, picking up their laptops and bringing uh -huh. them home so they can do the, uh, the, the schoolwork starting Wednesday. Yeah. But in their mind initially, oh crap, extended spring vac vac you know, vacation, <laughs> yep. you know, I'm like, no, 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 no. Life is still normal. You're still going to have the structured bedtimes. You're still going to yep. wake up. You're going to take off your pajamas. You're going to put them in the washing machine. You're going to get yes. dressed. You know, you're going to be productive and you're going to act like it's a normal thing. Yep. You know, and because, in a lot of ways it can be better because you can make it more meaningful. Right. But I want things to be as normal for them because the ones that I'm really doing this for or at that age where they don't need to know that they're, you know, at least, you know, acutely know that right. there is a virus that has the potential to, you know, call some numbers in society, you know, that has been calling some numbers. They don't need, you know, Oh, by the way, I don't want you to go to uh, your friend Sally's house this, you know, this afternoon because right. she might cough on you and you'll die. And you'll die. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She's seven. She's, yeah. That's, that's great for your seven year old to have to deal yeah. with that. Absolutely. It's very different for your 14 year old. Right. Yep. You know, my 14 year old, my 16 year old and my 17 year old, which are the oldest three in the house, uh -huh. they know what's going on. They have jobs and you know, they go across the street to their friend's house. And I just tell them, don't lick your friends, you know, <laughs> you know at least yeah. not for the next two weeks. Right. Right. At least. Yeah. At least until, yeah, but it is, it's the, I think that's one of the hardest things about parenting because a lot of parents underdo it or they overdo it, but it's meeting out the real world consequences so that kids grapple with the reality of things, but that they don't have their, you want their naivety to be destroyed at the right pace, but you never want their innocence to be destroyed. Right. Yeah, I know. And see, some people, I, you know, hate me for this and I'm okay with it, but my five-year-old and my seven-year-old still 100% believe in Santa. Great. Let him right? do it as long as they can. Yeah, you know, until it's weird, if they're 16, still well, believing yeah. in Santa, I'm going to have to, you know what, I'm going to have to drop the hammer. Right. And I'm still that dad that will drive by and see a dead deer on the side of the road and say, see, Santa lost his temper. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I want the, ma the, you know, the magic of life yep. to exist in them as long as possible. Because we used to live in an area that was riddled with, you know, cartel shootings. It was a border town. Wow. Okay. You know, and. And we used to, you know, drive through like downtown El Paso, Texas, and you could just look to the right, you know, if you were headed east, you look to the right, you could see gun battles, you know, right there. Insane. You know, it, yeah. You got bullets flying across the border, hitting the uh, University of Texas El Paso building. It, it was ridiculous. Wow. And we're just like, roll the windows up, crank up the radio. <laughs> Pretend everything's good. <laughs> you know? Hey, guys, you could, look over to the left. What's going gonna, on out there? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make a left turn here. And, <laughs> oh, man. You know, yeah, we, you know, but we try to do things to the point where we keep their innocence alive to where we can say, all right, now it's time to have an actual transition right from the child adolescence to like a preteen adolescence to a teenage adolescence and then from, you know, teenage to an adult. Right. I, I, we feel like there is an extended stage of adolescence for people now. Right. Where they graduate high school and they're still children and they just kind of drift off into college and even adulthood in jobs as children. Totally. In their thirties. So, yeah. And so yeah. we want these hard transition points. Right. You know, not only that, well, cause I think it goes in both directions where I remember my wife and I were out, um, 
we were out at the mall the other day and I hear this seven-year-old kid talking to his grandma about his favorite parts in the movie, It. It's like, why are you letting your kid watch this movie? There's no way. And so the problem is, is we take adolescence and we extend it too far in both directions. We rob kids of their childhood then we rob people of their adulthood. And what we should be doing is truncating adolescence to as short of a window as possible, where you allow magic and wonder and innocence in these things to extend. And then we introduce actual adulthood as quickly as we possibly can, as opposed to just everything being this, this different, these shades of gray as far as being an adolescent. Yeah, you know, one day the kid's watching, you know, a Stephen King movie, the next day he's coloring exactly you know. <laughs> right oh it's so frustrating to me and, yeah, you, and you it's because the parents the parents get frustrated where it's like well that's the stuff that i want to watch and you know, i i don't want to tell timmy that he can't be in the room because then he might throw a fit and so i'm just gonna let him watch it because he should be able to handle it anyway and all these rationalizations that go through people's heads and it's no let your kids be kids and then have them become adults quickly yeah, have them become adults when necessary. You don't want right. a three-year-old or a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old knowing, you know, human anatomy at a graphic level. Right. You know, or at least the functions of that human anatomy at a graphic level. Yep. You know, you. Uh, it's aggravating because I see a lot, I see a lot of kids just walking around. I think we were at uh, we were at Target the other day, and there was a kid with a tablet walking around, and the kid was watching. Uh, I think it was like uh, it was an HBO show, True Blood. It's just like naked vampires. Are you kidding me? Yeah, on a tablet, just walking around. That's disgusting. I mean, and the fact it, that he can't even not be on a tablet when he's at the store is disgusting in and of itself. Yeah. But then he's watching this totally pornographic adult, like not just sexually pornographic, but violently and emotionally and in every other way pornographic content. And then that's just what you're pumping into this poor kid's brain like you're wrecking your child. Yeah. And you know, mom was on the phone. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Because all mom cares about is that he shuts up because a quiet kid is a good kid. It's not a disciplined quiet kid. It's just a quiet kid. That's a good kid. And we have this terrible conflation and it's really more about my kid is a reflection of me as opposed to my kid is his or her own person. And it's my job as a parent to help them be the best version of themselves that they can be. Yeah, and, and and the whole sticking them in front of something electronic, or is is more of a distraction of energy, right? Much rather than you know, my kids when we take them out, they're quiet, but they're quiet because one, they know how to behave in public, and we exactly. explain to them what is expected of them. But second, they're tired. <laughs> they're tired because they're so energetic and working. Yeah, because I yeah. you know go outside, run, climb yes. trees, yep. you know. I put some photos up on Twitter not long ago where my, uh, my five-year-old was riding the dog. Yes. Yes. And it was fantastic. The dog didn't care, but they come in and they're covered in dirt and like, all right, go hose off. Yep. You know, (laughs) (laughs) know? but then it's a, it's a spot for them to put that energy in a lot of parents these days. They don't invest the time into their kids in any kind of way to let their kids burn that energy, whether creatively, physically, they're just like, Oh, you're, you're just moving so much here. Watch this. And be right. Quiet. Right. Because it's, yeah, it's just about don't have any of that energy at all, as opposed to here are proper ways to channel and use that. And then, actually create a really great life for yourself and benefit the lives of others. No, we're just going to teach you to just suppress all of that energy and just consume. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's one of the worst things about being a parent is, you know, when you realize that you kind of went, oh, I should not have just told him to go watch something. <laughs> but I think that's one of because I'm certainly, we're not perfect parents. There are a lot of things that we do well, and there are a lot of things that we don't. Oh, definitely. Right? And I think one of the things that makes us continue to feel okay about how we are as parents is my wife and I are constantly checking in with how we're doing. Are we allowing ourselves to get complacent on these things? Are we focusing too much on this and not enough on that? Are we letting it become more about how, because nine times out of 10, and this is something I'm still working on and it drives me nuts that I'm still working on it and I haven't figured it out yet. But nine times out of 10, when I find myself actually getting angry with my kids, it's just because what they're doing inconveniences me. Yep. It's all about me. It's not about them. It's not about their siblings. It's not about anything else. It's about me. And that's when the emotion comes in and it drives me crazy. But I'm at least at a stage where I'm recognizing that and I'm consciously working to improve it until you get to a point where you've consciously mastered it and then effortlessly mastered it and everything else. But that's why we continue to feel good about how we're doing is we're constantly checking in to try and figure out how can we be better at this as opposed to like, nah, we got this. We're good. Yeah. And see, my wife and I are, we're, we're totally terrible because we look at the way other people's kids behave and just compare yeah. ours. Right. Which I think is a good thing because <laughs> you do need to be able, cause we're that same way. And what sucks even more for us is we're constantly being complimented by other people, which yo know, boohoo, poor you, you're always told how great your kids are but it can lull you into a sense of complacency of as long as my kids aren't like those kids, then, then we're fine. And that, that does become a problem. Yeah. And so we, we've, we've had that come up before where we're constantly comparing to, well, at least they're not like so-and-so's kid. Yes. Like, they're not like so-and-so's kid. That mean yeah. little freckle face kid down the street. Screw that little redheaded <laughs> kid. You know? I hate that you kid. Know? Yeah. Every, there's always that one kid in the neighborhood right? that everybody oh, hates. Man. Well, we're uh, really, we're really grateful where we are. My, all of my kids, best friends, are good kids and we love having them over. And, and I think that's another thing that's fun too, is the, the interaction with my friends, kids, with my neighbor's kids and that kind of stuff where it does become not the whole like village thing, but kind of a village thing too. Yeah. That, yeah that's kind of what I like about where we live. Everybody knows everybody. There's only one kid on the block that I don't like. And it's mainly because I don't like his dad. <laughs> so but, again, it's all about you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the kids just like his dad. So it's, ah, that makes it even worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, his dad had a problem with uh, my son and his dad thought he could talk to my son without me present. And I had to set that straight. Yeah. That's yeah. one of the things we're learning is, you know, and I dealt with this as a kid too and didn't realize it, but how many, how many times you're not allowed to interact with other kids or, you know, my daughter's got a friend that she's not allowed to play with because her mom doesn't like us. And it's, it just sucks that there are things that your, your kids can't be totally shielded from what are the consequences of you doing things right. as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, but everybody knows everybody, the kids are always, I mean, everybody knows what cars are supposed to be on the block, what, yep. what cars are not. And you can look outside and you've got kids riding four wheelers up and down the street. You've got kids on bikes up and down the street, the little uh, UTVs up and down the street. Yep. And it's just constant. That's how it's and supposed then to be. Kids walking across the street to jump in each other's pools or trampolines yep. or whatever. Yep. And it's fine that way. That's how it's supposed to but, be. Yeah. But yeah. We like it here. Yeah. Know, it's it's like quiet. <laughs> I mean, quiet, except for all the kids and the motors. 
Yeah. And, you know, we have uh, one of those small, small, small towns where we have no mail route in a post office. It's only open for four hours a day. <laughs> oh, man. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, it is until you need to pick up a package. Yeah, that's true. It's sacrifices, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But um, I guess, you know, we're coming up on that hour mark and we've gone down some major rabbit holes, but I think yeah. it's good altogether. <laughs> uh, so we've already, I've already asked you, you got nothing coming book wise. You're going to continue on with your coaching, I'm sure. And uh, anything kind of new coming up? That, uh, I know you just released a course with Ed Lattimore and uh, AJ Cortez. We did. Yep. Which is fun because it's an expansion on everything that we've all done individually. And it's how to do so many of those things concurrently, especially it's really big expansion for me because I, with most of my teaching and most of the content I cover, it's purely related to your appearance and your style. But those same principles apply to basically the, everything that has to do with your presence, how you interact with yourself, how you interact with other people. And so the course is a cool breakdown where Ed talks about and dives really deep and teaches you how to master your mindset. And Alexander gets you in fantastic physical shape and helps you understand all the benefits that come from being able to dial in your body. And then I add on to that how to use your appearance, but also things like your vocal inflection and how you speak and what kind of language you use or how you interact with other people or what your own self-talk is or all these other things. And we combine all these variables so that you really can use them all together and become the optimized version of yourself, especially because they're not domain dependent. This applies to how you are with your family. It's how you are with the people you're dating. If you're in that situation, it's how you are with people at work. It's how you are when you're by yourself. And so it's very much a, an application that works in, in so many different regards as opposed to we're just going to get you looking good so you can get laid. And it's only for you single guys right now or something like that. Yeah. Uh, it was called the optimal, optimal man, the optimized man, optimized man. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, you sent me a link to that. I'll make sure I put it in the show notes. Sweet. Yeah, we'll do for and, sure. Uh, but uh, Tanner, I really appreciate you coming on, man. Really Thanks enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, we, we went down some good rabbit holes. I love, man, I love talking to other dads, especially other intentional dads who just, because you see so many men, sadly, who are just zombies with their lives. And I hate it even more when it's fathers. And so getting to be reminded of the fact that there are, not just in my little neighborhood where it can feel safe, but there are other men all over the world who are really taking this stuff seriously. I love it. It's such a recharge for me. So thank you. Thank you. You know, same, I step up my dad game every time I see guys like you do something. I go, awesome. you know what? He's doing it right, and I'm kind of lagging and sucking That's on it. That's how it's supposed to be, right? We, yeah. we benefit each other, and, and our kids benefit as a result of that network. Yeah, and, you know, we started this conversation when I was outside on my patio. We couldn't get good signal out there. But uh, the only reason I wanted to be out there was so I could do the two things that you're not allowed to do. Smoke my pipe. <laughs> And drink coffee. <laughs> and so that's why I've been drinking coffee this entire yes. episode. Just oh, kind of rub it in because you're Mormon just... and you can't. You're not allowed to. Yeah, but I don't want to. <laughs> wow. So you say. No, I don't. I've never even. Oh, it's, uh, I, why, would, why would I want to be dependent on something else to keep me awake when I'm totally fine as I am? Let's see, I'm not dependent on it to keep me awake. I'll drink two of these a day and then another cup before bed and sleep like a baby. <sighs> Gross. Pass. <laughs> Don't underestimate my power, Mormon. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Well, Tanner, thanks for coming on. We're going to wrap this one. And 
for those of you watching, there will be links in the show notes to Tanner's website, uh, masculinestyle.com, uh, where you can follow Tanner on Instagram and Twitter. There will also be a link to the Optimized Man course that he was done with uh, AJ Cortez, who was a guest, and Ed Lattimore, who is going to be a guest next week. Good. Glad you're getting him on. Yeah. Um, all, those, all that information will be in the show notes. And for those of you watching, you can leave in the comments, whose beard's better, mine yes. or Tanner's? <laughs> it's definitely Jeff's. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's going to wrap it for this one. Thanks, Thanks for dude. watching. Thank you for listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. I hope you've been enjoying the content on all of the episodes, especially this one here. If you'd like to become a contributor and support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash rugged legacy and click on the support icon. Everyone wants to rise from the ashes, but very few are willing to set themselves on fire. This has been a Rugged Legacy production.